The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my friend Chris Dow. Red face like a beef tomato. And my other friend... Announcement! Announcement! Please, sir, can I have some more money? (laughs) (laughs) Have you been to our website recently? O3C.games? There's still loads of cool stuff on there, loads of articles, loads of think pieces, loads of reviews. But there's also a very important link to ways you can financially support the podcast, either with a regular donation at patreon.com slash O3Cgames, or as a one-off donation via PayPal. Your support means the world to us. It means that we can carry on doing this show. It means we can keep the quality as high as hopefully you've got used to in the almost four years we've been doing this, if not longer at this stage. Feels it. If you've enjoyed anything that we've done in that time, please, please, please do consider just chucking us a few pennies because it does make a difference. It does help this show to continue and will help this show to continue into whatever our following season is once we finish wrapping up our lovely addenda. Class is back in session, and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes, and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX back to school deals going on now at hyperx.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can keep you focused in as you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats, and stay productive with lightweight pulse fire mice, responsive alloy keyboards, and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories. Adendar is the season's name, and amending is our game. That's it. <laughs> Seamless. <laughs> All through this season, we have been taking it in turns to amend our top 100 lists that we sort of finalised over three years. But three years is a big buffer zone. Played a lot of things, thought about a lot of things, seen a lot of things. And uh, now we're crowbarring it in retroactively to make all things right Adding in new games means taking out old games. It's oh, it's been a bloodbath. It's been a bloodbath, but we're on the home stretch. Last week we had Minty's final addendum, which was Shin Megami Tensei Five: The Chariot of the Cock. <laughs> and this week, Chris is going to be telling us what his final amendment is to his list. What game or games? Who knows? There's no rules. We're going to find out what that game is in a little bit. But before we do that, we are going to chat about what we've been playing. This last week. Now, we are shy. One of our members, Minty Booth, is away, but he has literally phoned in what he's been playing this week. What have I been playing this week? Let me tell you. Not a huge amount, actually. Not not, not a lot to report this week. I'll start with Quake. Still playing. Still getting out aggression through that medium. I have moved up to hard mode now so I haven't really been keeping track of the levels that I've already played on normal mode so I I have no idea like what I've already done and in what order. I think I've tried to play through the second level pack a few times now and I've given up at the same point each time. Like whenever I get to the first map in the second episode I immediately think oh this shit again and just stop playing. I know that I should just power through get to the next level but there's just this this weird mental block with this one level that I can't get past. Like, I have completed it before, so I don't know what's going on there. Maybe it just took me a few times when I first started playing it, but... Yeah, there we go. It's a good level pack though, it's a couple of fun new weapons. I did skip to what I assume is a late game secret level that's reminiscent of the standout Doom 64 secret level, Into the Void. Just a winding collection of corridors full of late game enemies that relentlessly hunt you down so shamblers vores spike mines galore as well as those gross little things that steal your weapons and just like eat any corpses you leave behind i don't like those at all actually i am approaching the end game of digimon survive now as well i think i have kind of fucked it for myself because About an hour in, I saw the three dialogue paths that you can take for each interaction, where your character says, oh, how should I respond to this? And I thought, 
My first playthrough will be the green path, instead of just picking whatever dialogue option I felt was best at the time. And I think that choice, which dialogue path you choose, affects what your Digimon evolves into throughout the story. I'm up to my mega level Digimon now, and I don't really like what it evolves into. Like, imagine if a dinosaur, an artichoke, and two scimitars went into one of the telepods from the fly. I'm also becoming woefully aware that everything that's gone wrong throughout the story probably could have been prevented through my choices, which means I am probably going to be playing this game over and over again until I die, because I doubt I'm ever going to be able to get the perfect run-through. But that's fine, you know, it's the kind of game that rewards repeat playthroughs in the same vein as Tales of Symphonia, instead of just having your endgame team steamroll everything a second time. I'm really excited to experiment with different dialogue options, different sentiments, different friendships, to really, really plumb the depths of what is, I think, a really, really wonderful story. And then the last game that I've played this week, a mobile game called Pocket Chess Chess Puzzles. I have a very vague understanding of how chess works, and I certainly don't have the attention span, the skill, or the inclination to sit down and play a whole fucking game, so why not play a two-turn game based on a sliced-up chessboard? The premise is very simple. You've got pieces scattered over a very small playing space, and you've got to checkmate your opponent in one or two moves. It's the first game in a very long time where I'm quite tempted to buy the ad-free version of it, because at some of the trickier levels, I do end up just sort of jabbing the tumblers, so to speak, to beat the level. Like the shotgun approach instead of the sniper approach. Just trying out every combination of moves in very quick succession and seeing what sticks. If it works, great! I'd love to have a look at the game board once I've beaten that level, take a couple of seconds and see how I did actually get checkmate that time. But then of course on the free version, as soon as you win, that plenary is, is halted almost immediately by an ad featuring some wanker about to be shredded by a buzzsaw that only you can save by matching three blocks to make a hole in the floor for him to fall through. Well, do you know what? Fuck you. That guy, I don't want to sacrifice personal and intellectual growth to stave off your death for another few seconds. I don't even know you. And that's it, actually. Yeah, I'm pumped for Splatoon 3. And I assume by the time this episode goes out, I will have played the Global Test Fire. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. I'll probably put thoughts in the Discord, maybe even on the Twitter. But yeah, super pumped for that. I can't believe it's coming out next month. Amazing, amazing stuff. There we go. That was what Minty's been playing this week. Good. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed it or did not enjoy it. Chris, what have you played in this last week? This week, it's no surprise that I've played more odds and sods on the Steam Deck, of course. Oh. Uh, natively, I have been playing Mirror's Edge a little bit, and it's fantastic. The original? Yeah, I liked it on the 360. Looks amazing on the Steam Deck. Handles really well. Fantastic. Uh, so that's certainly something to consider when it pops up in a sale again in the future. I've also played a bit of Snake RX, or Snook RX, however you want to call it. Oh, yeah. And that feels really good using the hybrid control setup that you've got essentially triggers to turn your snake clockwise or anti-clockwise. And then you can use the trackpad as a mouse to organize your build between rounds. Oh, and it nice. just feels really seamless. It just works really well. And it's much more enjoyable than when I tried to play it on a phone. I just, mm. I don't know. I'm not crazy about phone games generally. I've also played Tempest 4000, which is the console and PC port of my beloved Vita game TXK. Oh, I love that. I do love it. It doesn't run out of the box at all on the Steam Deck, but, but, bit of tinkering. It's up and running. It looks staggering on the Steam Deck screen. You know, it fits on a portable because that's where I played it originally, and it's nice to have it now on a bigger, better portable. So yeah, great game. Moving across to a bit of emulation, I dipped into F-Zero GX on the GameCube, oh. mainly because it's one of those white whales of emulation. It's been very hard to get it kind of fully specced, even on kind of like a decent machine, like decent hardware. And yet on the deck, it runs at a nearly flawless 60 frames a second. It's so close. There's just like the odd little wobble. And I've tweaked some settings. I've learned a little bit more about how exactly the Steam Deck distributes its power to like the graphics unit and the CPU. And with all these things in mind, I can get a pretty steady performance. The inconsistencies are largely gone. And with that in mind, I also went back and had a tweak of the N64 and Sega Saturn emulators I was running. Because despite being old machines, they are such bespoke hardware, they've always proven really tough to emulate. And now both feel 
absolutely fantastic. Amazing. As much as there may still be edge cases that have the odd wobble, like things like Conker's Bad Fur Day is a real heavy game for the N64. And Burning Rangers, for example, is a really heavy game on the Saturn. Oh, yeah. Both games push their original hardware really hard and therefore, you know, emulators can struggle. But I've now built game-by-game profiles and workarounds that essentially mean they're pretty seamless as well. Amazing. So good fun can be had by all. Very impressive. (laughs) Most impressive. The fucking PlayStation 3 can be emulated (laughs) on the Steam Deck. And depending on the games you're asking it to run, it can turn in a bloody good performance. Wow. (laughs) Like really shockingly good. So... Ridge Racer 7 is a locked 60 frames per Ridge second. Ridge Racer? <laughs> as good as it was on, on the PlayStation. It runs perfectly. Wow. The hugely stupid but hugely enjoyable 50 cent blood on the sand oh. <laughs> runs pretty much perfectly once its textures have been For what it is. <laughs> it's a fun game. Is it's it? really silly. It's really tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. And I, I wonder how aware 50 cent as a person was <laughs> that that was what was being presented to yeah. him. Because he was in another game, I think, on the PS2. I can't remember the subtitle. But it was very po-faced, very serious, very straight. And this one opens with 50 Cent playing a gig, I think, in like Iraq or something, being told that his rider has been taken and they say they're going to pay him using a crystal skull. Brilliant. And then he basically just marauds across the Middle East. And it's such a silly, silly experience. But Yeah, it feels like a section from Brass Eye or something. Yeah, yeah, Uh completely, (laughs) completely. Following on with kind of weird tie-ins, the surprisingly competent tie-in to the stupid Wolverine Origins film oh, also yeah. runs and plays really well. And the reason I picked out these weird ones is not just to be contrary, like I often am. It's because there's not really a huge amount of exclusive games on the PS3, really, because most games were either on the Xbox as well, or they came to the PC just you know natively ported at the time. So finding the games that you can't play other ways and then making them accessible via emulation is just a really exciting thing to me. Yeah. One more game I spent a decent time with this week that wasn't on the Steam Deck was an adventure game called Boreal Tenebrae on the Switch. And it's a weird sort of point and click game that came up just on kind of like the new releases at some point. Hmm. And I thought, oh, it's got quite an interesting art style. It's a really strange title, I think heavily inspired by Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah. Because it's got changing protagonists, it's got odd writing, it's got a surreal atmosphere. And it leans on a sort of PlayStation 1 aesthetic with deliberately low poly models, inconsistent texturing, a strange 4x3 presentation. And I am enjoying it. Like, I don't think it's a long game. I'm probably three or four hours in at this point, and I don't know how the story is going to conclude, but I don't think it is a long experience. Mm. But I have mostly enjoyed my time with it because the puzzles aren't too taxing. And in fact, the toughest part of the game is probably understanding just how to traverse between locations, <laughs> as, as this is done in a few different weird ways to make it feel a bit confusing on purpose. I think mean, it's all deliberate. So sometimes you're warping using objects. Sometimes you're choosing from a straight menu. Sometimes the doors you've entered might spit you out in different places, depending on the character that you were controlling at the time. There's a lot of just weird things to consider. and. It is all a bit unpolished, shall we say, <laughs> but in a way that contributes to the surreal, hazy vibe I think the game is going for. There's definitely some Twin Peaks in there because yeah. every weird game seems to riff on that. If you're viewing it now, obviously like I am through a 2022 lens, it also feels like there could be a bit of Stranger Things in there because it's got almost like alternate worlds that exist concurrently. And like I said, there's definitely a Kentucky Route Zero influence. Mm. It looks like a good companion piece to Paratopic as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of on those lines too, like Love drawing that. from that kind of aesthetic. The reason I think Boreal doesn't hit the heights of Kentucky Route Zero is not because it's rough around the edges, because I think that's done largely purposefully a lot of the time, but because this is a game that has been inspired by games, whereas Kentucky Route Zero was really heavily inspired by things that weren't games. Mm. That title drew from art, it drew from theatre, it drew from poetry and literature. And Boreal Tenebrae is a game that is drawing first and foremost, at least in its execution, from point-and-click adventure games and things like that. And unfortunately, I think the gamey part of this is probably the weakest suit of the you know the presentation itself because the aesthetic's good, that the vibe is good, the writing is it's all nailed on, really good stuff. But the menus and the movement and the item interactions, the stuff you're actually doing, <laughs> rarely feels frictionless. And Kentucky Route Zero is just such a smooth, smooth thing to play that whether or not you're into kind of what it was doing you can't fault 
the way it was delivered. You know, it's, it's just a really great time. Uh, this game is cheap. It's often on sale for less than a couple of pounds on the Switch. Mm. It's only, I think, a fiver at full price on Steam. If you want to check it out on the PC, it might be a bit more sturdy than the Switch release. But do know that if anyone does decide to check it out, Definitely has its caveats, but <laughs> a soft recommendation from me. Oh, nice. Yeah, £1.79 on the eShop right now. So pick it up. It's worth it. It's downloading now. Uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but it could be. It could be. It could be, and it may be before the night's out. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, place your bets now. As for me, I have... Monster Hunter? Yeah, I've played the standard amount of Monster Hunter. Me and Casper have played a few quests. They've started releasing weekly event quests now. They've started fairly easy. So we trounced through the first one, just like I wasn't even watching. But that was good. It was good. I'm not going to waste more time talking about Monster Hunter because I have played other things. I have played other things. Good. Firstly, on my mobile device, I played through and beat... All of the levels, three star on Sping, which is the game that I've spoken about a couple of times. It is a fantastic game. It's so, so nice to play. I really think it is the perfect mobile game uh, in terms of it's simple to play. You can play it with one thumb in portrait mode. It's really simple, really addictive, very satisfying and really, really good fun. So there's several different modes in the game. You get like the standard mode. There's a mode called One Chance where the little nodes that you can attach to usually you can just fling your way around all of them as as many times as you want but in one chance mode the nodes disappear after you've let go of it so it means you've really got to get things right first time and there's a whole bunch of levels that are specifically designed for that then there is hyper mode hyper mode is twice as fast Hmm. i I don't know if there's repeated levels or not because there's so many levels there's hundreds of levels but I had a fantastic time playing through those. Uh, it was amazing like how much sharper your reflexes need to be. Then there's the Lost Levels, obviously taking inspiration from the hellish Mario sequel yeah. in Japan. Those levels are really, really hard. And then there's another mode called The Lab. And there's only about 30, 40 levels in there. And these feel like they are really pushing the boundaries of just how hard can we make this game? <laughs> yeah. Everything else certainly has a really good element of challenge to it. Some levels might take you, you know, a dozen or so tries. But like, I think my attempt count at the end of the lab was well over a thousand yeah. for like probably not even that many levels. They are really, really hard and they've got you scratching your head as well. There's a real puzzle solving element to them. There's a lot of things in there you just need to figure out. But I did it. I did the final level, which I was stuck on for so long. And yeah, now I'm just going to sit and wait for more levels. Greedy. Last week, I said to Minty that I'd had a bit of an itching for an idle game. And I found something to scratch that itch, which is a little game called Tiny Island Survivor. Mm. Again, simple portrait, one thumb. It's not, strictly speaking, an idle game, but it's certainly got elements of it. It also feels like a very, very light version of something like Forager. Yeah. You've just got an island... You can harvest wood and stone and then use that to craft things and upgrade your things to cut down bigger trees and bigger rocks. And then you can get access to like a little dungeon and you can go down there and then under the dungeon, there's something else. And you just got to wait and harvest materials. And so simple, but it was kind of what I needed just to sort of zone out a little bit and just do some process, which is really, really nice. And then a real surprise, I didn't even know this was coming out, a sequel to a mobile game that I fucking adored just appeared on apple arcade which is jetpack joyride 2 oh now, jetpack joyride Jeez. was so good so so good apart from it being only playable in landscape mode instead of portrait mode everything else is like perfect mobile game it's like one yeah. thumb where you just got to get runs longer and longer and longer and longer and then you use your coins that you get to unlock better power-ups and better weapons and machines that you can ride in to help you get your run longer and longer. There's always like a little quest or a task that you need to do, whether or not it's high-fiving scientists on your way out or if it's something else. As an aside, this came out on the Vita as like essentially the same as the mobile game. I got all the trophies in that. I ground it out. Amazing. So I enjoyed it. It's a really, really good game. And The sequel is really building on it. It's not reinventing anything. Core mechanics are exactly the same. Your Billy Steak Fries, whatever his name is. Barry, Barry Steak Fries. Barry Steak Fries, that's it. Yeah, who who thought that Billy was the bit of the name that I'd made up? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're escaping a lab. 
but it's more sort of mission mode level based now. So you'll start and you'll have like an aim of getting like a score of 500. And when you do that, you unlock the next bit and there's a million more things to upgrade. There's a whole base building element to it that feels a little bit like the Fallout Shelter setup. Yeah. And you can upgrade that and they can then be mining, making coins and gems and blueprints that you can then use to upgrade x y and z there's like little arcade modes in there which always have like a little gimmick to them and you can play those to get specific materials to upgrade other specific things it's basically just got about a million more layers to it whilst also still being built on the same brilliant sort of core mechanic so i've been playing loads of that which is great what else have i played tell us well another game came out that i was like I want to play that and I want to play it now. And that was Cursed to Golf, which is oh, a yes. roguelike yeah. golfing game from Chuai Labs, owned and run by friend of the podcast and former guest, Giles Goddard. Hello. I saw like the trailer and basically it said roguelike 2D golf. I was like, I mean, it's good. The sort of levels that you're golfing through. I mean, they're not golf courses, they're levels, you know, and they're randomly generated within a sort of specific framework and there's lots of obstacles and you've got to choose between basically three clubs. You've got your driver, you've got your iron, you've got your wedge to get to the next platform. You have a certain shot count. If it's a par five, you have five shots to make it in. You can also hit special things on the level to get more shots added. And then you also get a hand of cards that all have different abilities that you can activate at different times. Some of them are quite simple, like you add two shots onto your limit or you can replay your last shot or you can do a practice shot but then there's also special abilities that will like split your ball into three or you can stop the ball in midair or you can make it u-turn or you can blow up the tnt barrels that are obviously on the stages just like a normal golf course there's just a lot of elements at play and you've got to get through 18 holes to ascend back to the uh life because you're in the afterlife you've died that's the thing that happens you're playing against some dead people and you've got to escape golf purgatory it's good fun and the soundtrack is fucking great it's proper like 16 bit it really reminded me of sonic so i then went and bought sonic origins oh Uh, yeah Yeah. (laughs) because i just really got the hankering to play some sonic from listening to the music and i'd also watched a really good speed run of sonic mania from gdq not this year, but last year, I think it was. It was really, really good. It is a really good package. Like, the games are really, really well presented. There's loads of extra modes. There's challenge modes and missions and stuff, so you can, like, replay the games with trying to do all these things, unlock millions of things for the museum. There's really nice, like, little new animated cutscenes to, like, intro and outro the games to sort of tie it all together in, like, a bit more of a cohesive sort of story going through all of it. I started at the beginning, and there's no other way to say this. But Sonic 1... Is a cunty game. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many elements in that game purely designed to catch you out. I know I really can't talk because, I mean, you've played my Mario Maker (laughs) world. Uh, (laughs) But there's like enemies out of sight, the end of a trajectory that you're flying on, and there's springs waiting out of sight to pin you into some spikes or traps that are hidden with absolutely no sign that they're there, unless like you stop and wait and just look in case some spikes come out. But then obviously that sort of goes against the gotta go fast mentality see the game there's obstacles that just can squash you and insta kill you which are a fucking pain in the arse invincibility doesn't let you breathe underwater (laughs) not happy about that bullshit the boss of labyrinth is a piece of absolute shit like you basically can't make one wrong jump for the entire thing it's an absolute quiche of a boss (laughs) uh the special stages are also obviously bullshit yeah like those special stages are deeply unpleasant to play it feels like you're trying to thread a needle whilst on a roller coaster yeah and you're drunk horrible experience they're really badly balanced origins has at least made a bit of an attempt at a concession i mean you can play the games in classic mode which is as you'd expect but you can also play them in adventure mode which is what's new for origins and it doesn't change much i mean it changes it into 16 by 9 uh You don't have lives if you're playing in that mode. You just restart the level again, which is great. I've said before that lives are a very outdated system Mm. in most video games. And instead, when you get 100 rings or you get enough points or if you get like one of the one-up things, they've all been replaced with actual coins, special coins that you can use then to retry a special stage if you fail it. 
doing the missions and the quests and stuff like that, they all unlock coins as well. So, I mean, it doesn't make them any less bullshit, but it does mean you've got a bit more of a chance, you know, getting through them. So I played through Sonic 1 and I played through Sonic 2 and I'm at the final boss of Sonic 2 now. Sonic 2 also has a real bullshit final boss and it's got two phases, but you don't get any rings. So basically you just get fucked very easily. Yeah. Even with, like, with infinite lives on, it's maddening. <laughs> I don't remember the original being this cunty, even with lives, you know, so you're going to get three chances or whatever, or however many you've managed to pick up. Sonic 2 like graphically tries to take a jump up, but it means that the foreground and the background are then much harder to sort of distinguish from each other in things like the oil ocean zone and yeah. the hilltop zone with one of the worst pieces of music <laughs> I've ever heard in a game. Is that the one that has that really like portamento slant? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Horrid. Horrid. <laughs> it's really rank. <laughs> that sounds about right. It's really, really poor. There are some good pieces of music in there. There's one that sounds like it's straight off an 80s Genesis album, which I quite like. But I haven't done the final boss and I just got so annoyed. So I made a start on the next game in the collection, which is a game I've never played before, which is Sonic CD. And talking about not being able to distinguish the foreground and the background, Sonic CD is a hot fucking mess. I hate it. It is disgusting to look at. The concept in the game of trying to travel between the past and the future is a fun idea. It does not work. It's a bad idea, worsely implemented (laughs) in this game. It's really, really poor. It's shocking, in fact. Uh, It's not a nice game to play at all. Don't know if I'll continue with it. Of course I will. And then I'll go back and keep trying the Sonic 2 boss. But it is utterly mad what a step up in quality yeah. Sonic 3 and Knuckles is from Sonic 1, Sonic 2 and Sonic CD. It's next level. It is. It, I mean, it feels like you're playing on a next generation console. Yeah. Just the design of it, let alone the graphics and the performance and the music and everything else is, I mean, what an absolute game changer. One of the things that I had in the Sonic 1 on the Master System is they, there were sort of special stages, but they were very different. And that's not how you got the emeralds. The emeralds were hidden within the normal stages. So you had to sort of go off the beaten track and find them. And that's basically what they came back to doing in Sonic 3 by hiding the mega rings to do the special stages. They're hidden, you know, off the beaten track. You've got to explore and find them. It's just such a better way of implementing all of those mechanics. I'm really saving Sonic 3 and Knuckles until I've got through these wankers. And it's just going to be so, so, so nice to really put those games to shame. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to really doing that. And then I am looking forward to actually playing through those other games with those mission modes and, and seeing what else I can unlock because it is a good package. It's a good package. There's there's a lot in there. But i tell you what it has made me want to do. Get my Steam Deck out and get the emulation booted up to play the... Game Boy Advance Sonic games because they're good. They're really good. They're good. They're probably not as good as Sonic 3 and Knuckles, but they're not. They are going to be significantly better than Sonic 1, 2 CD. They are. Um, and Sonic 4. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, don't even talk about that. So, yeah, that's me. I'm going on holiday tomorrow as of this point of recording. I'll be bringing my Switch and my Steam Deck with me, and I don't know what I'm going to play. Don't think we're going to have internet, so I probably won't play any Monster Hunter. Detox. Probably for the best, isn't it? <laughs> I have downloaded, and well, I bought and downloaded Cult of the Lamb. Yeah. I bought Cult of the Lamb because it's got great reviews. It looks great. It looks right up my street, and I bought that on Steam, so I've got that on the Steam Deck. And let's not forget, all of these games I've been playing and not playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which is literally sat in my Switch. Maybe a a, a visit to the farm is what I need to play some Xenoblade. We'll see. I'm looking forward to a break. For sure. For sure. So, Chris, are you ready to amend your list for the final time? Not really. Got to. I know. I know. (laughs) I have spent the duration of this season soul-searching to try and ascertain whether I think Tetris Effect is better than Res Infinite. It is. What? That's what's been in the back of my mind since the beginning of this season. And Tetris Effect is already a game that I've played more than Res because it's just that sort of game. You know, I'm not sticking Res on every night for three hours. It's an experience to have when you're in the mood for it. Whereas Tetris, you can play and play. But Tetris Effect as a product doesn't have the same 20-year history that I have with Res. 
And because of that, it's been really hard to work out if I think it's better. You know, it's something I've played more, but is it better? They're both Tetsuya Mitsugushi helmed projects. The lineage between them is really clear, especially if you play one back to back. You've got Synesthesia passed through the lens of like Panzer Dragoon or Space Harrier in the early 2000s with Res. Then two decades later, you've got Synesthesia passed through the lens of Tetris. And ignoring everything else, they're both for me absolutely perfect games. But each has very particular memories attached. You know, you've got the slow learning to love it journey of res that culminates in the xbox 360 hd port becoming an annual ritual for me and then infinite's vr rendition being one of the earliest and most potent exposures to virtual reality i could possibly think to have then you've got tetris as a concept gradually embedding itself in my psyche for the best part of the last 30 years of my life (laughs) and again capitulating in, in the vr demo of tetris effect making me cry actual tears of joy inside my headset which was something. (laughs) It's it's not nothing. (laughs) Distracting is what that was. (laughs) My score really suffered. It is nearly impossible to extract the individual value I place on each of these games because both are totems that represent the sheer power of video games for me. They're both able to transport me with or without a VR headset somewhere else, somewhere completely different. But they've all got these other personal memories too. So it's not just the experiences of playing these two games, but of how they impacted my life at different stages and how their influence would feed into other parts of my creative and personal development. Rez's soundtrack was arguably what got me into collecting video game soundtracks on vinyl. Like during the early growth of that scene, it was the potential promise of Rez getting a lavish vinyl release at some stage because it wasn't there at the beginning. But that really drove me to start collecting these oral representations of my favorite games, just thinking one day Rez will be there. One day someone will wise up and release (laughs) Rez. At university, I completed an entire art project where I attempted to find aesthetic value in the blandest of video games by isolating and then blowing up single pixels in like FIFA or Call of Duty. And when they were enlarged as like huge projections, these shimmering dots existed essentially as an endpoint from an initial idea that I had had whilst playing Res HD, my university halls, and really considering for the first time, you know, what was the difference in the art I was studying academically and the games I was playing? And it was from playing Res and thinking of that in a different way that made me think, well, maybe there is value in this other stuff as well. So fundamentally, you know, a big part of what I do in my career now. Tetris, as I've mentioned before, has always acted as a personal stress reliever for me. But Effect went one step further because it was there for me alongside Clone Hero at the lowest, most challenging part of my adult life. You know, the breakdown of relationship and engagement. And Clone Hero was what helped give me purpose for those early listless months when I was living back on a fucking mattress in the corner of a room at my parents' house. But Tetris Effect in VR was what let me step away for an hour or two into a a world of colour and optimism into a community that could be as expansive or as solipsistic as I needed it to be for how I was feeling at that time. Again, they are both perfect games, (laughs) inarguably for me. But I talked about Res for a long time in the finale of our last season. And so naturally, it's Tetris Effect that I need to consider properly today. Why is it so perfect? Where is it going to go on this list? Number one. (laughs) Firstly, (laughs) the easy stuff. Tetris Effect plays the best game of Tetris. And when you've played as much Tetris as me and you've played as many variations of Tetris as me, the feel of a Tetris game becomes really, really important. So to go back to them now, the original Game Boy Tetris, for as much as I love it, for all it represents, it's sticky. It feels sticky to play. That's a really good way of describing it. Yeah, and by contrast, Tetris DX on the Game Boy Color is a bit too frictionless. It goes the other way. (laughs) And I think the best modern Tetris games have found the balance, but still usually lean one way or the other. Tetris 99, which I'm also going to wedge in my list today, distinct from effect, because I don't think it would be fair to ignore the hundreds of hours I've put into that game. Yeah, It's perhaps the most precise and exacting Tetris game I've played. Mm. It's developed by Arika. They produced the Terror Instinct Tetris arcade games, which you might have seen played at a Games Done Quick event in the past. And the arcade games are seen as the professional way to play <laughs> Tetris. And that purity and mechanical clarity is very, very present in 99. Tetris Effect on the other side of the coin is a bit softer. And that's not to say it's not precise, but the way rotation works, the speed at which you can manipulate pieces, there's maybe a frame or two extra acceleration in its animation, and it just makes it feel more rounded. And the feel of these games services the experiences in both cases. So in 99, with its weird battle royale dressing, it needs to feel pinpoint accurate because you don't want a fluff drop to be the game's fault 
when you're at the tail end of a long drawn out battle with someone else like right at the end of a, a match and thankfully it never does and effect needs to feel accurate of course because it's still primarily a score game but it's a score game that is serviced by aesthetic choices and that kind of synesthesia i mentioned earlier it means there's a push and pull as the stage themes change and that makes some levels feel aggressively snappy others a bit more billowy and it's just it's so perfect in its execution so tetris effect feels great but it's also stuffed with content and variety I'm sure people will remember me talking about EA's Tetris on the PlayStation 3 a few months back. And I said I really enjoyed that one because it had these different novelty modes, different ways to learn to play the game. And the same could be said about Tetris DS as well, like with all its strange Nintendo-themed play modes, if anyone owned that back in the day. But Tetris Effect is the king of variety. Because if you want vanilla Tetris, it's there. If you want nonsense Tetris, it's there as well <laughs> with speed modes or time modes, or weird block modes, or even an infected mode I really like that asks you to purify the afflicted blocks using line clears. And then with an update, when it turned into Tetris Effect Connected, there's also multiplayer Tetris. That's there mm. as well. And then if you want the single player Tetris journey with all its bells and whistles, with all of its trimmings, fucking hell, it's, <laughs> it is here too. <laughs> If you get the time and have the skills to play through Tetris Effect's journey mode start to finish, it is something else. Like, even if you're a Tetris novice, have a practice for a few days, unlock the full stage roster because you can do it in little chunks and then give the full mode a go on easy because the feelings that this succession of stages evokes end-to-end, dare I say it, is greater than the end-to-end direct assault mode of Res for how it drives you so seamlessly through these varied worlds, through an unwritten narrative, through these luscious, emotive spaces. There are five or six songs on the Tetris Effect soundtrack that when I hear them in isolation, if I just play them on Spotify or or whatever, they give me immediate goosebumps (laughs) or sometimes make my eyes feel immediately heavy and my throat (laughs) caught like I'm going to cry. And when I'm playing the game, you know, when in-game, when my head is properly wired for Tetris, I'm not just listening to them on their own. You know, I'm thinking purely about order and stacking and everything else. These songs are somehow elevated even further because they reach in and touch this unconscious part of my brain that's just impossible to unlock regularly. It simulates something that you, you can't get any other way. When it came out, some people complained that Tetris Effect was emotionally manipulative. And <laughs> of course, like that's what art is, isn't it? That's, yeah, the that's the point. Like that, yeah. That's the reason that if I sit in front of a massive Mark Rothko painting, it makes me feel so heavy, so sullen, just crushed under the weight of it. How sneaky of him. <laughs> <laughs> sneaky Mark. <laughs> it's the reason why the repetition, but then the subtle changes in Brian Eno's early ambient music feel so freeing to listen to. Mm. It's the reason why something like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining feels so unsettling from the moment the family arrived at the Overlook Hotel with its secretly impossible architecture converting these open expanses into really claustrophobic spaces. It's meant to be manipulative. You know, it's the point of it. Good art makes you feel something. And that something has usually been directed by the overseer of the project. Otherwise, what's the point? (laughs) (laughs) And for me, I think Tetris Effect is perhaps the most effective piece of Mm. media I've experienced in being able to deliver on this idea for me personally. The fact that all this can be experienced in virtual reality as well Christ alive like it is it is something else honestly I I think the more impressive thing is that all of that can be achieved outside of VR yeah yeah you know it's, it's huge and the fact that just playing Tetris connected on my switch in a car driving up to North Wales you know I was still getting goosebumps from moments yeah yeah I mean I think it's got as much power to transport you as putting on a headset yeah. and that's yeah. mad yeah it's hugely impressive I mean to pay it lip service before the big reveal Tetris 99 is going to the list in the mid-teens oh, and it's yeah. going to knock Excite Truck on the Wii out the other side. You know, I like it a lot, but it's not Tetris. <laughs> Tetris 99 is the multiplayer game I've had the most fun with in my life. That's it, really. You know, yeah. it is a, a concept I was totally unsold on when it was revealed, but a game I then played for, no joke, hours daily for months. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when it launched, it was still only a few months into the start of mine and George's relationship. And on the nights we were apart, I remember having to time my text responses really carefully so that I could fit in rounds of 99 mid-conversation flow in a way that wouldn't feel like I was ignoring her. So so it was like, okay, if I fire off like a volley of messages now, give her 10 minutes to respond to that whilst I'm going to play this game, then she gets another little batch after that. (laughs) Nailed it. Perfect. Absolutely nailed it. 
How many hours have you played Tetris 99 for? What's your uh, hour count on it? 150, maybe? 200? I don't know. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, people have passed me, but for that time, it was like, it was a lot. It was it was a lot. The fact that 99 still has as big a regular player base as it does is fantastic. And I really hope it migrates with whatever the successor to the Switch is, because it's great. I want to be able to play it forever onwards. Tetris Effect, though. Oh, does it really matter whether my list reads number one, res, number two, Tetris, or number one, Tetris, number two, res? Yes, I have to update the website. (laughs) (laughs) Push comes to shove. Tetris Effect is going to be the more accessible of the two experiences. Like friend of the show, Yoan Gwynn, messaged me a few months ago to say, Rez, what am I supposed to be getting here? (laughs) So, (laughs) So I realized that game is perhaps not for everyone. But then when I thought about that, I wonder if that level of abstraction and esoterica makes it more deserving of the number one spot on my own list because of how radically different it is, even if it has its roots in something familiar like a rail shooter. Tetris Effect is my favourite game of all time. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Oh, I'm so happy. It's a development of Res in a way a true sequel like Child of Eden just wasn't. Yeah. And Tetris Effect delivers on all the promises made in Lumines in a way that's more musical and more satisfying. It revitalizes a game like Tetris that didn't need to be revitalized Mm -hmm. in a way that makes it feel fresher than it's ever felt before. So Effect is going in at number one with a bullet. Yes, Uh, number one. Res Infinite shifts to number two. Everything else in the (laughs) list trickles down. The original Game Boy Tetris is going to leave the list to make the way for these two other Tetris games. Obviously. You know, it's passing its torch down to the new generation, as it were. Mm-hmm. It's done its time, and now it's been superseded. I think Tetris Effect is the most masterful game I've ever played. And I don't believe, honestly, that at this stage of my life, with everything Tetris represents to me, that there will ever be a game to rival its position. I just can't see how there's an update to that. From its trailer to its release, to its connected multiplayer update, to its port on the Switch. In every iteration, this is a perfect, faultless game to me. And it's number one. So we've built up here over this list to say, (laughs) this is Chris Dow's favorite ever video game. Yeah. Also, water is wet. (laughs) (laughs) You bloody love Tetris. You bloody love Tetris. I do. I mean... The thing is, I know that you would have said exactly the same about Res. Well, you did say exactly the same about Res yeah. before you played Tetris Effect. Yeah. And saying there's no way anything will ever come close to this or there's no way anything will supersede this. You know, that's what makes this doing this podcast so exciting is discovering yeah. those things and actually discovering them in real time. Look at your relationship status. Yeah. From the start of the podcast to where yeah. it is now. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking like when I started the podcast, I wasn't even a parent. And now, yeah, yeah. like, all of a sudden, something's come along that is actually better than anything I could ever even imagine. I'm not saying that Tetris Effect is better than Nora. Uh, <laughs> but it's up there. But for you... <laughs> I, I think what's been really good, in a way, Tetris Effect came out not that long after we started the show. Like, within the first mm. four or five months of starting, yeah. you know, what was R3 Sense now, O3C Games. You know, it's mm. very early on. And at the time, I thought, okay, I think this is my favourite game of all time. But the list was set. And in a way, I thought it's good because I have a long time to think about this. Yeah. We ended up doing that season for a long time. We've got to this point of doing the addendum for, you know, a long time as well. So we, we've had four years to sit with this idea, basically, or thereabouts. And to be able to have that, to compartmentalize and just come back to it now and again, to play Res again, to play Tetris Effect and actually balance it. Because my worry has always been that I play a game today and i go oh Mm. it's my favorite it's my favorite game and then in two weeks time i'm like i didn't fucking enjoy that at all (laughs) because when you start thinking back on it the difficulty with res is i've been playing it for 20 years yeah and tetris yeah at least in this format is something that's a lot newer it's a lot fresher and i was worried that it would get to a point where i'd think it was great and then i sort of look back and think oh i don't know actually but there's been such a long period of thinking around this and playing it across multiple platforms and starting new games and just experiencing that journey mode again, every time I'm blown away. And the goosebumps haven't stopped. Every time I feel the same way. Yeah. And there's, there's yeah. moments in each stage where I'm just like, I need to psych myself up for this. Yeah. If I'm in the middle of sort of playing, I still have to go, Ooh, I take a big <laughs> breath just in preparation for some stage effect or some part of the music or something. It's, oh, it's, it's a thing. It really is a thing. It's a big thing. Yeah. It's... 
genuinely one of the best games I've ever played. It's yeah. without a doubt the best VR experience I've had. When Tetris Effect Connected came out on Game Pass, I remember talking with my, my group of friends who I played Sea of Thieves with. A few of them were talking about it and going, like, oh yeah, apparently this is good. And I said, it's my game of the year. Like, it's one of the greatest games I've ever played. And they were like, but it's Tetris. Yeah. And then they played it. And it was Tetris. <laughs> but blew their minds. Yeah. I mean, it was the same <laughs> argument as well. When it was announced, everyone was like, oh, that looks cool. And then it was like, £40 for Tetris. Not paying yeah. £40 for Tetris. And anyone who well, did pay £40 for Tetris... Had their heads blown yeah. open. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All those other people were £40 sadder. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Know? I mean, it made Minty cry when I let him experience that on PSVR. Yeah. It's a shame Minty isn't here, actually, to talk about that. And Andy, I know he really enjoyed Tetris 99 as well, but I believe he has phoned in his thoughts on both those games. Yeah, I remember when Tetris 99 first came out. None of us expected it, did we? None of us really believed in it, but... Goodness, didn't it just captivate us all when we finally sat down with it? I think about the original Tetris. I remember the flow of the game and how the speed just ramps up further and further and further. The more you get into your run and before you know it, you're flying. You've got barely any time to think, let alone place the pieces where you want them. For me, I think Tetris 99 brings this flow into the modern era with, quite frankly, inspired Battle Royale application. You're no longer just playing against yourself, are you? You're not just pushing yourself to become better at completing lines. That aspect is, it's still there, of course, but now you can, now you can win. Uh, and against 99 other human beings, like it's a real testament to how strong the game is that it was able to shift popular opinion from like, how the fuck would that even work? To how have we gone so long without it? So succinctly and so completely. It's a glorious white knuckle palette cleanser. I honestly believe it's strengthened Tetris in a way that few other installments in other franchises have managed ever. And Tetris Effects was my first VR experience and one that I would consider absolutely essential. When we think of the Tetris board, if you like, it's, it's just this narrow rectangle, isn't it? So how does that translate to what is essentially a 360 degree field of view? Simply by masterfully sculpting extraordinary concepts, themes, worlds for each level and then allowing them to gently bleed into the liminal space of your peripheries. Right? Tetris is an involving game by virtue of the, of the concentration that it demands, but everything on screen is just flush with a gentle vibrancy that never draws your attention to the detriment of the gameplay, but garnishes each playthrough. What a joy it is to slot that really long one into four packed rows and nab yourself a Tetris and have all that all of that celebration go off on screen. But then to have these beautiful stingrays made of light just dance around the edge of your screen because you're on the underwater level or whatever. It's an experience like no other. It really is. And it would be criminal not to make it O3C approved. I don't really have a lot of puzzle games to swap out there, so we'll swap out a strategy one instead. Let's put it in at number 60 on my list and we'll replace it with Fire Emblem Fates. I mean, I've got Path of Radiance in there, I don't need another one. So yeah, we'll take that one out. We'll definitely put Tetris Effect in. It deserves to be in every top games list ever, as far as I'm concerned. I can't just get away with saying it's one of the greatest games I've ever played and then end the episode because obviously <laughs> it's going in my list. Come on, come on, get of it Of course in. it is. And Tetris doesn't quite have the same personal resonance for me as it does with you, but... In all honesty, it's had more resonance with me because of how important it is to you. Yeah. And hearing you talk about it, experiencing how you experience it has made me love it so much more than, yeah. you know, I, I ever would have done playing it on my own. I'm still blown away by the fact that it's as good on the OLED Switch screen as it is playing it on my Oculus. Yeah. I mean, it's a monumental experience. It really is. The title song from that would genuinely be on my Desert Island Discs, top 10 songs of all time, yeah. because it makes me so happy. It makes me so happy. It's tickling the top 20 for me. It really is. Oh. You know, we're a couple of weeks away from doing our final appraisals and juggling everything around and finding their final home. But looking at games that are around, you know, in the 20s that I've got, 
you know, sitting alongside things like Super Mario Sunshine and Journey and Monkey Ball and Inside even, actually. Although, uh, yeah, I might have to rethink how high that goes because that's amazing. And then newer things I've added in this season, like Sekiro and Outer Wilds. Yeah, it's going in that sort of company. High 20s, as in low 20s. High High up up the list, list, low in the the 20s. 20s. (laughs) (laughs) What a fantastic final amendment for you, Chris. Of course, it was... Tetris Effect with a side order of Tetris 99. Oh, you love that on the side, don't you? Just to dip. I do. Just just to dip in <laughs> things, you know. A guacamole. Yeah, dip in a celestial whale. If you've enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on your social media channels. You can engage with us on ours. We are at O3C Games on everything. Chat to us. Tell us what you're playing. Tell us what you think of these games that we're playing. Got any recommendations for us? We'd love to hear them because clearly we need more games to play, don't we? Oh, yeah. You can also reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And Minty is Clement underscore Boo. Boo. And please do join us next week where I will be issuing my final amendment or amendments. I might be cheeky like Chris and talk about two games. (laughs) Imagine. Imagine that. Right, there we go. Save. Stop there. That was a longie. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Explode When Defeated presents something really neat and full of meat. Those children aren't going to protect themselves in a brand new podcast series about everyone's favorite giant reptile. Godzilla? No, we already did that one. Rodan? No, we did that one too. Gorgo? Gamera. We're talking about Gamera. From turtles to medieval samurai golems on our new series, Demolition Die. Only on the HyperX Podcast Network. I'm Colette. And I'm Matt. It's time to talk about the most important topic facing humanity. Video games. Oh, okay, video games. (laughs) Every week on Colette and Matt have entered the chat, we have in-depth conversations about the games we're currently playing. We also talk to people who make video games as well as YouTubers, writers, and podcasters that you already know and love. We also talk about what you're playing when you join our community. Subscribe to Colette and Matt have entered the chat wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Class is back in session and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX back to school deals going on at HyperX.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable clown headsets can help keep you focused and you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats and stay productive with lightweight pulse fire mice, responsive alloy keyboards and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories.